Hello, and thanks for joining in. I'm Jana Harmon, and you're listening to the Side B Podcast, where we listen to the other side. No matter who you are, if there's something common to all of us, it's that we want to be fully known and fully loved. We long for meaningful relationships. We want our life to have significance and deep meaning. But sometimes what we long for seems quite elusive. Despite outward appearances and even worldly success, we can find ourselves deeply lonely and empty. What happens then? What do you do? Where do you go? Our podcast guest today had a life with all the thrill and adventure of a spy novel. That's because he was a spy, a genuine spy. Raised in communist Germany, he worked for the KGB as an undercover agent, literally. Yet with all of the trappings of worldly excitement and success, something was desperately missing. He didn't know how or where to find it. As a communist, religion and God were not an option. That was only for the undereducated masses. Jack Barsky's story is one filled with dramatic twists and turns and transparency as he confronts his own dark night of the soul. He knew he was looking for something more than his own seemingly exciting yet shallow empty life. Even though he may not have been looking for God, God was looking for him. Jack came not only to know about God, he came to know and be known love and be loved by God himself. He came to find a life of satisfaction, fullness, and peace that had eluded him for so long. Come join me as Jack tells his journey from atheism to belief. Welcome to the Side B Podcast, Jack. It's wonderful to have you today. I'm delighted to be here. As we're getting started, just so the listeners can get to know a little bit about who you are even just right now, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, my name is Jack Barsky. Uh, I currently reside in the beautiful state of Georgia, just south uh, in the suburbs, uh, southeastern suburbs of Atlanta, with my wife, Shauna, and uh, my soon-to-be 10-year-old daughter, Trinity. Uh, I retired from corporate life about four years ago. I spent some 35 years uh, having a career in information technology, including uh, you know executive type management. Uh, but uh, four years ago, I became a public figure. And at that point, it was time to say goodbye to corporate uh, because my life story does not sit very well with a lot of companies. Um, I I did some things that uh, are a little bit out of the ordinary, and uh, so and I d- described all of this in my memoir, Deep Undercover, which was uh, which was released uh, three years ago. And so what I'm doing now, I'm uh, I'm. Uh, engage in public speaking. I do interviews such as this one. 
I write blogs and uh, I'm working on some other things that are not very much related to my career in corporate, but more in the creative sector. Wonderful. Wow. That sounds exciting. Um, And for anyone who's listening, I will definitely put the name of your book and your blog and where we can follow you in the episode notes so you can find more out more information about Jack there. So I'm so excited to get into your life. Uh, You obviously, like you said, had become a public figure because of the extraordinary, extraordinary life that you've lived. And let's, let's take it back to set the context for this extraordinary by talking about where you grew up, um, your understanding of God, your family, your culture, what was that world like? Well, it started very ordinary, to put it mildly. I I was born in 1949 uh, in the easternmost part of what was at the time the Soviet-occupied zone of Germany. That uh, place became eventually the German Democratic Republic, a strong ally and pretty much dominated uh, ally uh, to the United, uh, to the Soviet Union and and very much dominated by by Soviet uh, influence. Um, I I was born into a small village. My my parents were both teachers. Um, and uh, my first home was on the third floor of a um, elementary school building. That was pretty good because, you know, this was World War II, particularly in the East, did a lot of damage to uh, the, uh, the country, uh, massive destruction, um, uh, apartment buildings, cities, factories i mean it, it was it was a wasteland uh and it was probably the best thing was to be able to grow up in the country because uh we had the ability to scrounge up some food here and there that uh you know that was outside of the uh assigned ration the assigned ration for an adult for about 10 years uh, still, ten years after the end of the war, was about fifteen was worth fifteen hundred calories. That's below uh, a subsistence level. So you know, but it was like a place where you you know, and you 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 cannot imagine to get out of there and go out in the world and 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 make make a way and and have an interesting life. What. Um, did it for me was God gave me a pretty pretty decent intellect. So I did well in elementary and middle school, which allowed me to go on to gymnasium, which then allowed me to go on and I, I aced high school. And then that got me into a good university. I studied chemistry uh, and uh, I pretty much aced that as well. I'm going to stop right there and talk about God. <laughs> okay. Um, be, before we before we go there, um, go ahead, yeah. let, let's. Uh, so you grew up in a in a like you said a, a, a Soviet occupied section of Germany. 
it was communistic. So I presume with that, then there was little to no reference of God. Um, exactly. So it, what exactly. did that look like? What was what what was the belief or what was the the religion, I guess you could say, yeah. in a, in a secularized sense, what, what what did that look like? It's very interesting that <clears throat> my my mother uh, came from what I truly believe uh, a Christian household. My my mother actually uh, uh, for a little while sang in a church choir uh, and she would talk about it, but then she had to stop because my father was a party member and he wanted to have a career and it was suggested that she separate from the church. I, God was never mentioned in our, in, in our house. I never saw a Bible. Uh, there was a little bit of, there was the ability to get uh, religious uh, education uh, on a voluntary basis for a little while in elementary school. But my father for, uh, did not allow me to attend. So fundamentally, I grew up without God in my life. What we were fed from kindergarten on uh, was communist ideology, Marxism, Leninism, you know, as it, as is it fit to teach your children at the young age and then as they grow older and so forth. And uh, it, it became so dominant uh, to me that was Marxism-Leninism was the only valid approach to life and interpretation of uh, what life was all about. Um, and there was no doubt uh, in school. We didn't even have we didn't even have a academic subject that you could call religions of the world. No. We had uh, scientific Marxism-Leninism as a uh, subject to study. Um, so that, that, be, that does become a religion because the belief, uh, this belief does not hold up to uh, intellectual critique, but we didn't even think about critiquing it. It, it was all we ever heard. So yeah, there was no God in my life. Uh, and and uh, one other thing, we did celebrate some Christian holidays. We had Christmas, and it, it was a pagan holiday. We, For us, the main figure at Christmas was Santa Claus. I had no idea that uh, most, most of the world was celebrating the, the birth of uh, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we had Easter, and uh, there was no cross at Easter. It was just about the Easter bunny. And you know, really, the the... the Worst corruption of a holiday uh, that I can think of was uh, the Day of Ascension. In, in Germany, it's called Himmelfahrt. <laughs> and I remember this was a day when young men, my father being one of them, would go out on a hike, uh, either with bicycles or just on foot, with enough beer in tow to come back drunk. That was the Day of Ascension. Um, and, and so, kind of an, yeah, an interesting correct. interpretation there. Yes. Yeah, so. Indeed. So obviously. Time, one, one other thing. The first time I, yes. I, 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 I opened a Bible, I was about maybe 12 years old. I found one in, uh, in the home of uh, my other set of grandparents. And I, curious as I was, I started reading it from, you know, uh, page one. 
Uh, and as I'm progressing, I hit this uh, uh, section where you have a, about a page and a half of genealogy and who begat whom. And that just like bored me to pieces. And I said, well, that's not the kind of book I want to read. Of course, you know, nobody will, if you want to introduce somebody to our faith, you start with the gospel, not with, you know, a few pages into uh, uh, Genesis. Mm. So it, it just was not anything interesting. You put it away no when you were 12. You you went on to, uh, went with this godless kind of mindset into university. You were obviously very bright. You said you studied chemistry. Right. And then, um, and then you got out of university, and and I presume the same kind of, in a sense, communistic dogma was was prevalent there at university. Yeah. No, no, I absolutely. <clears throat> I, um, I, I joined the Communist Party in uh, in my first year as a student, and and, and continued. Uh, we we continued to study. That was part of our curriculum. Uh, uh, Marxist uh, philosophy, uh, economic theory, and so forth, and and to me, uh, when I thought about church-going Christians, uh, I thought they were all the stupid people and the weak people who needed religion as a uh, as a crutch, and I uh, there was a, a level of disdain uh, that we were above all of that, uh, us the elite, because. Clearly, uh, I was on a path to joining the ruling elite in East Germany. That's not an exaggeration. Wow. So you had your your path set out before you. You were very bright, obviously yep. very ambitious, and you were noticed in some way. Exactly. I'm sure as, as someone who stood out among your peers as being perhaps special in some way, well, why don't you walk us through the next part of your journey? Yeah, I wasn't noticed particularly uh, because uh, I received a scholarship uh, that was a national scholarship that was handed out to uh, very few students. Uh, the chance of getting that was one in 3,000. Um, and uh, as you may imagine, in communist countries, uh, the the secret service, the internal police, kept records on everybody. There was a file for every single individual, with minor exceptions. But anyway, so and and uh, 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 the East German intelligence service, uh, which um, was called the Stasi, uh, as as well as the KGB, the Russian, the Soviet intelligence service would periodically look into these records to find people that uh, they might want to recruit. And so that way, I, uh, the KGB uh, found me and introduced themselves. And it became a, uh, a rather lengthy process of uh, recruitment. Uh, I had a informal relationship with a KGB agent while I was still at university. And actually, for one one of those years, it would, the informal relationship was almost two years. For one of those years, I already 
was uh, employed by the university as an assistant professor. Uh, anyway, that informal relationship was a mutual feeling out because what I didn't know, what I thought, I, what I guessed, but I didn't know for sure, is that they were looking at me uh, for one of the most difficult jobs uh, in terms of uh, espionage, and that is uh, uh, becoming an illegal. In other words, uh, get to a target country and uh, and live under as an illegal with an with an assumed identity rather than you know going someplace as a diplomat or a student or but still under your own name and uh, so I was I actually signed up uh, I was 24 years old when I left university and joined the KGB full-time I can't imagine what that might have been like. I, were you daunted by what was put before you and the responsibility upon you, or did it seem exciting? Or there was a the mix of emotions. Uh, uh, the decision wasn't super easy because, as you can imagine, uh, becoming an illegal undercover agent would require you to become somebody else. Uh, deny everything that happened to you the, uh, in your life up to that point, and and pretty much and, and uh, separate from everybody you knew, including your own culture, but from everybody you knew that included uh, includes parents, uh, siblings, friends, and for me, probably the the worst uh, part was that that I had to leave my beloved basketball team. I was I was a basketball maniac in those days, uh-huh. um, and I, and I had a career. There was pretty much a foregone conclusion that I was going to wind up a tenured professor at that university, and that was my dream job. But then there was the flattery that went with the fact that you were recruited by the most powerful organization on the planet to do some really really special work in service of the only cause that uh, I knew was worth uh, sacrificing for. You add to this the sense of adventure, the ability to travel, and uh, the the lure of sort of living outside of legality, because I knew that uh, as, as, a, as a secret agent, you, you would not you would live pretty much very, very often outside of the law. So that eventually um, won in terms of that tug of war, whether I should stay or I should go. And uh, so um, I signed up and uh, got two years worth of training in Berlin and another two years worth of training in Moscow. Um, I studied English. Initially, I was directed towards West Germany, uh, but because of my talent to acquire another language they i became a dream candidate because uh i i got to a point where where i was able to imitate uh the american idiom of english uh well enough to pretend to have been born in the united states with a you know explanation of the residual German accent that my mother was German and I grew up bilingual and that worked really well. So and in 1978 I showed up in the United States 
um, entered the United States with, with a false passport, which uh, I uh, destroyed on my second day and uh, pulled out of a secret uh, compartment a uh, certified copy of a birth certificate with the name of Jack Barsky. So Jack Barsky had arrived in the United States. The real, the original Jack Barsky had passed away at the age of 11. Uh, the KGB stole that identity and managed to acquire uh, a genuine copy of a birth certificate. And uh, that, that was not unusual. The KGB ha has done this many, many times. Uh, and, uh, you know, in those days, it was okay to... Uh, to operate, uh, if you had enough cash, you didn't know you didn't need ID. You can't even get on. You could get on a plane without showing ID. And so uh, I wound up in New York City and uh, uh, slowly, methodically, carefully acquired two key documents that would allow me to operate as a regular member of American society, and that was a driver's license and a social security card. And uh, at that point, and that took me about a year, uh, and my first job, by the way, were, um, I had to find something that where they wouldn't uh, do a lot of background checks and you wouldn't need a resume. So uh, I decided to, to try my luck as a bike messenger in Manhattan. And that worked out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I worked for two and a half years as a bike messenger and uh uh, and became a real street urchin. Uh, I got to know the city very well. And, uh, you know, in, in New York, it's, uh, it's catch as catch can, and it's survival of the fittest. So as the, as the bicycle rider, you're the most vulnerable in traffic. And sometimes you, the, worst, the worst offenders w uh, were the pedestrians who would totally ignore you. And, uh, you know, I, I, did, I had my own, let's put it this way, and I became... A real New Yorker, you know, quite aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, and then we decided, the KGB decided to send me to university again, to college. And I uh, I studied information technology. Uh, from the moment I entered the U.S. till the moment I, quote unquote, quit, and I did quit uh, the service for the KGB, uh, it was about 10 years. I quit in 1988. Uh, and now, of course, the question is, how did you get away with quitting? Uh, and, and Exactly. The, how, how could you leave <clears throat> such a strong, strong, well, powerful? You have to have a really good story. And I, uh, I think it, it must have been in some way that the Holy Spirit, because I quit for a very good reason, not because I liked life in the United States that well, and you know I, I liked the material comfort and all that. I was not yet materially so comfortable. As a matter of fact, if uh, this is what happened in '88, uh, the, uh, the KGB wanted me to return uh, back home because they were concerned. There was some was some indication that the FBI was investigating me, and so for me. Uh, from a selfish perspective, it would have been, yay, I finally get to go home. I had a lot of dollar savings on account, which uh, in East Germany was worth a fortune. And the Russians also uh, promised to let me have a house. I mean, I would have returned a hero, well-respected. 
I had received the second highest decoration of the Soviet Union the year before, but there's one thing that kept me here, and uh, this is when I think uh, when when God really started tugging at my heart and and sort of uh, softening the hardcore egomaniacal uh, individual that I was. I uh, had at the time an 18-month-old child, a daughter. And uh, I had fallen in love with that girl. It's and that was totally unexpected. I call this when I tell people I call this a an, an unexpected assault of unconditional love. Mm. And I think I think I, I I don't know where that came from, and I can only think that God started moving in my life. I had no idea that 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 He was doing that, but but I. It was a really tough decision because by defying the KGB, uh, uh, I risked uh, I risked a lot, possibly life, and there was also the chance that the FBI actually was on my uh, on my tail. Uh, but love won, and I told the, K- the KGB that uh, I had uh, contracted HIV/AIDS, uh, which in those days was clearly a death sentence. There was no cure. Uh, and uh, they bought this. And as a matter of fact, uh, they went to, they informed my family that I had died from AIDS. And there's an entry in the Social Security Register in East Germany that says, I, you know, my Albrecht Dietrich, that was my birth name in Germany, uh, died uh, uh, in 1988. I didn't, so... And that was the end of that, and I became a, uh, you know, uh, I disappeared into the crowd. I became a regular middle-class American citizen. Uh, pretty soon I forgot that I ever spied for the KGB. I had a good career in corporate America. Uh, the mother uh, of this young child who I had married, um, this is an, an interesting wrinkle here, she, I met her, she was originally from South America, from Guyana, and she confided in me that she was in the country illegal. So I married her to allow her to get a green card, which is really odd because he is the illegal spy making another illegal legal. Yes, well, so, yeah, that's ironic. But, you know, the decision was made. I'm staying with our daughter. Uh, I had moved in with the wife that I married. And, uh, you know, when the coast was clear and I I was pretty safe that uh, the KGB wasn't chasing after me, one day I went to my wife and I said, hey, why don't we buy buy a house? And that was pretty much the turning point. We bought a house. We had another child, house in the suburb, moved to another house. And everything was fine uh, until nine years after I quit. The, the FBI introduced themselves. And, uh. that, and that was a good thing. And the, the story of my life has a lot of uh, uh, dots that you would not expect to be connected. The probability of things happening that way is very, very low. And when, when I put this all together, there are many, many other uh, situations that I'm not going to mention here, but here's one. 
there was uh, in uh, 1992 a Russian national defected to uh, the West, and he uh, was a retired arch uh, archivist at the KGB who was ticked, who at one point was really ticked off at, at the KGB and the Russian system, and he started copying uh, files by hand, smuggling out files. And he had uh, three suitcases full of uh, typed-up notes that he uh, took with him that were... No, he didn't take them with him. The, the, uh, the British intelligence actually extracted this from his dacha. And amongst those copious notes was my name. Not, not much else. Now, uh, but Jack Barsky's, there weren't too many. So when the FBI uh, got that name, they said, we're going to find him. And they found me. They found, they found the one Jack Barsky uh, that uh, acquired a social security card at the ripe old age at uh, 35. That was, and that's what led them to me. And uh, so they introduced themselves, and they, the whole their idea was that they wanted they wanted me to cooperate. Now there were some folks within the the FBI who just wanted to put me in jail, but but here's another uh, lucky circumstance, so so to speak. The fellow that who who was the lead investigator uh, had studied me uh, very carefully, and he insisted that. I would cooperate, uh, and so they took that risk, and he he turned out to be right, and he is now a good friend of mine. As a matter of fact, he is a, a godfather to my daughter Trinity. Uh, so you see all these connections; uh, it's uh, it's it's phenomenal. It is. It is. So, uh, but uh, at this point, uh, I'm still I still don't have God in my life. Uh, at least I'm not aware that. Uh, he uh, uh, he is doing stuff behind the scenes uh, to eventually, and he is uh, to set me up because I I um, compare uh, the situation um, like when when a fisherman goes out and 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 throws out uh, the bait and and is very careful and he's looking for a nibble and a, maybe a bite and then he pulls. He 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 uh, reels in the catch very slowly until they finally land the catch, and and I think I was nibbling. I just didn't know yet. You just didn't know the Lord was working behind the scenes, but you were being drawn. I guess, like you say, the first hint of that was that unexpected, unconditional love. Yes that you had for your daughter and and yeah. you were wondering where that came from but uh but I, then but then obviously your steps are being ordered uh you were you left the kgb you connected with the fbi you cooperated with them i guess uh, since you were essentially dead to the kgb at that point we're going to take a break for a moment from our story so that i can tell you about the C.S. Lewis Institute Fellows Program. This program is a 12-month discipleship course that focuses on monthly themes related to theology, spiritual formation, and apologetics. Through the structure of a strong curriculum, like-minded community, and a one-on-one -on -one mentorship, our fellows encounter a life-changing experience that develops them to grow deeper in their faith as disciples of Christ. 
The C.S. Lewis Institute is now accepting applications for this Fellows Program. It is offered in 15 different cities and is for Christians who are seeking to broaden their Christian education and deepen their personal faith. To learn more and to find out if you live in a city where the Fellows Program is offered, please visit www.cslewisinstitute.org. Now, we'll return to our story. Um, you know, I, I'm curious, the life of an undercover agent, um, KGB, I mean, we, we've all seen the movies and the films and the excitement and the thrill that's a, the associate, associated with that. In your life, with all of those kind of trappings of excitement and and adventure, were you feeling fulfilled as a person? I mean, I know you were very bright and you were very driven and passionate about your mission. How how were you feeling just personally during that time? Was it was it fulfilling for you? Um, okay, first of all, the excitement was only in spurts. Uh, the life of a of an agent is can be rather boring. There's a lot of waiting. Uh, but to answer the question as to whether I was fulfilled or not, uh, emotionally I was not. But I did not allow myself to probe too much into it. So I, I lived a rather shallow life in that respect. Um, I had no deep relationships at all. The woman I was married to, you know, was a marriage of convenience. She was very pretty. Uh, the, the mother of Chelsea, the, the, the 18 month old I was talking about, very pretty. And, uh, you know, we, I did everything to, you know, make a good life for us. But I had, I didn't have any close friends. You can't, well, while you're undercover, while you're in living a life uh, in secrecy, uh, neither male friend nor, nor did the female, uh, relationship, uh, yield anything i i don't think you know i never got depressed so i i was just like emotionally so hardened uh, based on my upbringing and some things that happened uh, during my childhood and uh, as an as an adolescent that i was able to just exist that way fulfillment you can't know you're absolutely right that whole that uh, people are talking about that uh, is it, is, was in me that there was not it wasn't filled, but I didn't realize that I had it until I uh, there was a crisis, a real bad crisis in my life. Up until that point, everything worked. Even you know, I I quit the KGB and uh, and I was caught by the FBI, and they said, okay, you can stay here. Good, fine. You know, I I was just like it was untouchable in that respect uh, but uh, at one point my marriage started falling apart and my kids were old enough to move out and and that was exactly the very time when uh, Chana the administrative assistant entered my life I was in a deep emotional crisis where that well I became aware of that whole uh, and it was painful it was really painful uh, and the the lengthy divorce proceedings were uh, uh, that was the the first time that I actually you know cried in 
in uh, you know in solitude by myself secretly. So wow, you really it's not surprising I guess having grown up in Germany and having built almost an armor of, of this fortitude that you have not only externally, you know, in terms of your your tough persona but internally in your emotional sense of self um to be so guarded but yet you know you were vulnerable to your daughter's love and then you were vulnerable again in a broken marriage and and that's only human right um that's you, just you, human you said the key word in armor and the first time it was, that armor was pierced it was by an 18 month old girl so then what happened next uh, what what was the next turn in your journey well so um <clears throat> When 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 I was done with a debriefing by the FBI, which uh, took several weeks, and I passed the lie detector test, I was told that uh, uh, that uh, they, I would be allowed to stay in the country. I would even be allowed to keep the the stolen name. Uh, so if I had to change that name, it would have been very disruptive to my life and my family because we were so so much, uh, you know, integrated into U.S. society. So it sort of became a normal life. You know, I focused on the career. I uh, I climbed the corporate ladder, and uh, then I got my dream job at the same time, which is like the timing was, was incredible. The same time my daughter, uh, Chelsea, the one for whom I stayed behind, um, uh, was highly recruited and eventually was hired uh, to play Division One basketball uh, at a, a college out of Pennsylvania. So at, at the very same time, I got this job offer for a, a chief information officer at a sizable company. And uh, I, the job was phenomenal. And uh, uh, I could use all my all the talents and everything that I had uh, accumulated up to that point and here comes the next connection and uh that's that's another it it works better if my wife talks about it uh because there's a uh, this is the way she saw it but i'm going to tell you what she would contribute to this so Mm -hmm. i i was an executive and i i lost my administrative assistant and i needed a new one so uh, HR sent me uh, uh, resumes for three, three candidates, and I phone screened them. And uh, so one of them uh, really did something very odd. This was in Princeton, New Jersey. And while we were talking on the phone, and I still remember where I was. I was driving on the highway uh, going west uh, towards my, my home. And she volunteered. She says, oh, by the way, I'm attending a, a Bible college. And it was quite aggressive. And she said, you know, if that doesn't work for you, uh, we might as well just uh, uh, stop talking right now and not waste our time. Now, I don't know. I, I had a real in, a good feel about the conversation up to that point. And I, I had lost my anti-Christian bias because I had hired a bunch of people uh, who were open Christians, and I found out that they were actually pretty smart, not the dumb ones, and I thought they might be. 
and and also the most reliable walkers. So I had no, I had no reason to disqualify the lady. And uh, we we brought her in for an interview, and it was just uh, an incredible experience. First of all, she passed the interview. She interviewed with human resources uh, and uh, uh, with a with a colleague of mine. And when when I and I was the last one to talk to her, uh, she was sitting in a small conference room. I opened the door, and I I look at her face, and it hit me. There was something in that face that that, and she still has it. It's it's shining. It's an aura that uh, that, that is very very rare. And it, in a sense, I. This was for me. It was love at first sight. I didn't know what I was falling in love with. You know, uh, she she was quote unquote not my type, <laughs> and I had no business. You know, I'm 20 years older than she is, and I was going to hire somebody. But I just, I did. Uh, she she was just so attractive, not in a sexual sort of way, but as a, a, the aura around her. Um, and so we hired her. And this is her part of the story. She, at the time, was looking for a job. She uh, uh, she was in a personal crisis. Um, the, the man she was married to uh, turned out to be uh, uh, a, a con man uh, who, who had stolen a lot of money from her. So she, uh, you know, she picked herself up and says, "I, you know, she, for a while she was out of work. I got to go find another job." She got at the same time three different three job offers from three companies, and you know, I'm not surprised why. And then she, she said uh, to she prayed to God and, and said, uh, you know, ask for guidance, you know, which one to take. And she determined that it would have to be a company that. Uh, would uh, give her a sign-on bonus. Now, at her level, sign-on bonuses are not, they're not normal. Uh, administrative assistants typically don't get sign-on bonuses. But we had a bit of a mismatch with, you know, HR uh, uh, maxed me out as far as how much I could offer. And I said, well, how about if we close the gap between the offer and what she would like to make and give her a sign-on bonus? So she got a sign-on bonus, and and she will also tell people that God told her um, that there was a task for her at that place. Um, and she didn't know what it was and who it was all about. Uh, she, for a while, thought it was a young lady who was misbehaving in some ways that she had to just uh, help her to. Um, you know, straightened out uh, her ways. Uh, so we we started working together. Now, the seating arrangements in that company were all open floor. I didn't have an office. So and my assistant was uh, just diagonally opposite from me, and we were we were pretty much in each other's space. Whatever she said out loud, I would hear and vice versa. And so we got to know each other pretty well. <laughs> And one one time I asked her, I says, you know, you have this glow on your face and this this aura that where does it come from? And she blurted out, and this is this is absolutely true. She blurted out, 
it must be Jesus. <laughs> so it was my it was my time to roll my eyes, uh, not not physically, but uh, uh, sort of uh, because in your mind, yes, in my mind, because I could not understand how somebody would have that much of an impact. Somebody who I at the time knew she doesn't talk to and who is most likely does not exist. So that's where I was at the time. I was, I was an agnostic, and, uh, and I denied the existence of, of God or, or, or even Christ, and never mind Christ as God. Mm. But, you know, this is when, when the Lord started pulling, pulling you know, uh, reeling me in very, very carefully. So, so you were going through a difficult time, um, and then, but you were, you met someone who came into your life who, who had a glow about them, Shauna, obviously, yep. who, and she attributed to Jesus, uh, of all people. <laughs> um, so I'm sure that took you aback. So how did your story then progress? <clears throat> well, um, as I indicated, and <clears throat> it looks like. God was uh, starting to reel me in very carefully. Uh, I had an established pattern to to help people in my organization uh, to achieve as much as they can achieve based on their potential. And so I, I would sit down with, and I had a, at one point 200 people in my organization, and I actually sat down with each one of them one-on-one, -on -one, try to figure out who are you, and what, what, uh, where can you go? Where, where do you want to go? And I did the same thing with, uh, uh, with my new administrative assistant. And, uh, at, I remember that she, she was going part-time to, to a Bible college. And I said, why don't you, uh, give, give me an essay that you wrote. I want to know how well you write. So she gave me an essay about the book of Ruth. That was an interesting pick because the book of Ruth cannot be, when, when you talk about this, you can, you can take it as straight literature. That would be the, the furthest away from somebody saying she's trying to evangelize me. You know, I read it as a story. Right. And, uh, and she said that there was Holy Spirit inspired. She said that there was the only essay she got a, she, she got a B for, uh, but she picked that instead of like giving me one where she got an A to impress the boss. Uh, so I read it and I tell her that, you know, you write well. I guess I have to, in order to really uh, get a good idea how, how good it is, I have to read the original. Well, she was prepared. She has a Bible in her, in her, um, in her desk, and uh, she gave me that Bible. So this was the first time in my entire life that I opened a Bible, other than this, you know, failed attempt as a child, uh, and read something in there on purpose. And that, you know, you, you we. We're now looking at the, another turn of that reel to get that fish a little closer. And I had this brain, this brainstorm, Holy Spirit inspired, I'm, I'm guessing. 
I, I, because it, it just occurred to me that I was I had just read a book that uh, is by far the most read book in the history of man, but no close second. <clears throat> and I always was really proud of my uh, my wide and deep learning education about the world. And and here's a, there's one book that that I that I never read. So I asked Shona if I could keep the book, and she said, no, I think I can do something better. She gave me a set of CDs. And uh, the so I had a one-hour commute to work, so that gave me two hours listen, listening to the Bible from uh, Genesis all the way to Revelation. <laughs> so, and, and so now it, it got quite interesting particularly since I had a, an, an expert in the Bible right right in my office. And uh, when I had questions, I would ask her. And we, we obviously didn't do this on the open floor. This was Princeton, New Jersey. Um, so we, at one point, uh, made arrangements on our respective calendar to meet in a half hour uh, before the actual workday started to go over some of my questions. And we are, we're now calling that, uh, jokingly, undercover Bible study. <laughs> that uh, makes which, sense. Which it was, you know. We, yes. We were sort of on company time in a, in a very secular uh, place, in a very secular company, talking right. about the Bible. So right. I, I was a deist. I wasn't a Christian yet. But, you know, Shauna took care of that. She she constantly, on Monday, she would tell me what, you know, what church was like, and they have this great music. And and then one day I said, you know, and I said it, not, she didn't invite me. I said, uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you take me one day? Um, now, you have to understand for background, I had never set foot into a church other than Catholic, a church uh, where there's service going on. And the Catholic service that I attended with my ex-wife really did nothing for me. It, uh, it, it was just uh, too ritualistic. And I just like sat there and let it pass. Uh, so here I am for the first time going into a church that uh, where there was, um, there was some strong 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 faith displayed this mm. is what i sort of determined based on what shauna uh told me and so as a matter of fact i was concerned i was literally i was afraid to go in there by myself it was on a saturday afternoon it was a saturday afternoon service we uh were supposed to meet in the parking lot and shauna was late i waited and i waited and when she finally showed up I made her go in front of me because I, I was afraid that, you know, I, I would be intercepted at the door as the new guy and um, maybe just uh, evangelized right then and there. Not even close. You know, that's not what happened. Not at all. You know, I walk in there. The, the music was really good. It was, you know, modern uh, Christian music, very well played. And then in comes the pastor for his sermon. And would you believe it? This fellow had the same kind of glow on his face as I originally uh, 
saw Shauna's play. And of course, as it happens to a lot of believers, and happened to me, that the sermon that he preached was meant for me. Right. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny it, how that happens. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what God speaks to all of us, and, and somehow, if uh, it's it's just amazing that how we can um, individualize uh, the message. Uh, and, and this one was uh, about God's love. And I, I didn't count how many times uh, the pastor uh, used the word love, but it, it, was, it was exactly what I needed to hear because I was in this, in, in, in this crisis and I was actually hungry for love. Well, that's not unusual, but I, it, I was at a state where I couldn't deny it anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. I had to admit it to myself, and that made it rather painful. And here I'm hearing uh, the pastor talk about the love of Christ, the love of God. And I did something that was, at the time, for me, uh, totally atypical. It, when At the end of the service, I walked up to the pulpit and, and approached the pastor I don't, I don't know what possessed me, <laughs> and I, and I told him, I said, "You have a phenomenal delivery." This is what I said, rather than "I really like your message." Right. You know, it's a passive aggressive uh, kind of approach. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously, he, he, he knew I was a new guy, and uh, uh, we talked a little bit, and uh, he found out that uh, I'm not a Christian. And he called, called up his uh, assistant pastor, and he asked me. Is it okay if uh, we lay hands on you? And I said, okay. Now, gee, if somebody had told me before I entered the church that some that the pastor would want to lay hands on me, I would not have entered. Right. But at that moment, and that at that point in time, it was it was logical, and I had no problem with it. So, they so, with so for yeah, for your list, for those who are listening, when when you say lay hands on you what did you mean by that to pray for you or yeah they uh you know they uh they touched me uh, on my back and uh bowed their heads and 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 said a prayer over me and and how did that make you feel loved mm. by strangers who represented god now that didn't make me a Christian at that point. You know, it doesn't work that way. But I went back to that church because I liked it. And uh, the message was always good. The music was good. And it sort of became part of my life. I'd like to pause from our story for a moment and invite you to listen in on an important upcoming conversation. If you've ever been burdened by the devastation of human trafficking but didn't know what you could do about it, I wanted to let you know about a special online CSOS Institute event that will be held on Friday evening, May the 21st. Three internationally recognized leaders in the fight against human trafficking will share why they personally got involved in this cause, what's happening today in this battle, and how we can help bring freedom to those in bondage. Victor Boutros, 
Christine Buckholtz and Ambassador John Richmond will be the speakers. Between the three of them, they have worked for the Department of Justice, the International Justice Mission, they have co-founded the Human Trafficking Institute, and served at the highest levels of the U.S. government to fight the injustice of human trafficking. And each of them is also a C.S. Lewis Institute graduate fellow. There is no charge for this event, but you do need to register. Again, it is Friday evening, May 21st, beginning at 8 p.m. For more information and to register, please go to csosinstitute.org forward slash rescue. We hope to see you there. Now back to our story. So your head, it sounds like your head and your heart were both being drawn in some way towards God um, in terms of both truth and love? Correct. And I, uh, the head actually was leading that move towards God because I'm wired to be a thinker. But I wasn't, you know, my, my heart hadn't really followed. And this, this, uh, this just happened at an odd place and at a moment where I really, we, I, you, you wouldn't expect it. I was, I was playing golf with a friend of mine. And uh, as he was looking for his ball and I was waiting, uh, standing around, it was a, a nice uh, bright summer day with some clouds up in the sky. And I was looking around, I was looking at the sky and it all of a sudden hit me. And uh, I said to myself, I may have said it out loud, I know you're God. I believe you're God. So that was my moment when I became internally a Christian. And within a, a couple of weeks, I actually went to the altar and here's an, another interesting uh tidbit that church didn't have an altar call never did but i one time at the end of service i i had this pull and i had to, and i just had to go up there and the pastor asked uh, can i help you and i says i would like to give my life to jesus christ and the rest the next uh 15 minutes uh, or a blank in my memory. Uh, Shauna remembers because she was there. Uh, the pastor actually, people were, were really moving out. The pastor actually went on uh, the uh, PR system, the PA system, uh, and, and told the congregation a little bit about me. He knew about my background. And then there was applause and everybody rejoiced, and I don't remember any of that. So I was, and still am, a Christian. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I, I got to just finish up with that church. Uh, six months later, uh pastor asked me to testify on Easter. I, I testified three times, three services. He never asked me to tell him what I was going to say. 
And the funny, the interesting thing is also that this was a, a church. The three services were attended about by a thousand people. And this was in the place where I lived, where I worked. And nothing ever left the church. In other words, the fact that here, here's a, an ex-communist agent uh, who become a Christian, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't, it didn't make the, uh, the media, it didn't get to my, uh, to my uh, company. And I think God just put a mantle over this because I wasn't ready to be a public figure. I wasn't mature enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were protected in a way. I believe so. Yes. It, was, it was. It was just. If, if you think about it, I didn't think about this whole thing. But after the fact, there are a thousand people that live in my neighborhood, and 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 so, some of them whom could could have been co-workers, and it just did not trickle out. It, it doesn't make any sense. There, there was not a single journalist in that audience, or historian, or teacher. So nobody even even came up to me and the, the, I, I just disappeared back into the crowd. <laughs> wow. Wow. So yes, you know, the Lord knows what you need and what you can handle at the time. So there was a way of protecting you, I suppose. I, I do wonder, you know, you spoke about the glow of Shauna when you met her and then you spoke of the same kind of glow of the pastor that there, there seemed to be something about them. And I wonder, in your journey at the end of the day, have you found that internal peace or that, or found that glow that seems to be common among some Christians that you know? Um, I can't, I only can tell you what, what, what my experience is when I uh, speak with others who don't know me, more often than not, particularly uh, here in the South, uh, as I told you, I I live in in Georgia now, uh, people guess that I'm a Christian. I don't think I have a glow. I can't see it in the mirror, but but (laughs) I think there is a, there's something about uh, the certainty that comes uh, from our faith that changes us. And, 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 and the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, clearly is manifested in, in Shauna's face, who is, by the way, now my wife and the mother of uh, my nine-year-old Trinity. Uh, I, I think that all that change is externalized to, to some extent. Mm. Have I found peace? You know, we struggle sometimes. You know, we're going through hard times, but I have learned to to trust that. God knows what he's doing, and uh, in the end, it, it's his plan, and, and his plan has been excellent for me. And so why should that change? So my favorite uh, uh, Bible verse is Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God, because being still is not has not been uh, part of my uh, mental and emotional makeup, but I've learned to be patient, and I've learned to trust Wow, that's wonderful. Well, as we're kind of concluding here, before we do that, I I would love to hear your thoughts and your wisdom. You you have so beautifully pictured 
God is the great fisherman reeling you in through your journey and that you started at a very um, skeptical, atheistic place, very skeptical of God. And I wondered if you could speak to someone who might be in that place right now, who for some reason is listening and is curious, uh, what you might say to that curious skeptic, if you had a moment. Well, it depends upon where they are. Um, and, and I think uh, the appeal that I can make uh, that is the most convincing would be to the um, skeptical intellectual who who just uh, can't uh, can't believe, you know, who, who hasn't gotten very deeply into the Bible and uh, into our faith. Just, just do a little more research. Uh, read some of the good writing uh, that uh, C.S. Lewis published and others. Uh, uh, convince or, or acquaint yourself with the thought behind our faith, and understand that God has given us a brain, a heart, and a soul, and he wants all three. Uh, and uh, what I, the only thing I can say, what, what uh, becoming a Christian has done to me, uh, has given me a lot more peace than I had before. It's, uh, and that's good, because I, I actually, for the first time in my life, I actually like myself. And a lot of people don't. But if, if God loves you, why can't you like yourself? And and, and that makes you, you know, it, it makes life so much easier to, particularly to deal with, uh, you know, circumstances that are not always favorable. That's pretty much the, the, what I can say here. Yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty powerful, especially that last part you said about did you like yourself for the first time that... Um, there's something very wonderful about not only liking yourself because then that that reflects onto others, you know, in the way that not only you treat yourself, but the way that you treat others. And there's such a almost a domino effect with that. When you're grounded in the love of God, it's easier to oh, give you, that love to others. You, you're so right. Uh, you're so right. And uh, um, it's hard to describe, but, you know, every day I walk around and, and uh, I have no more fear of strangers. I, I, I love people. Uh, I love interacting with people. And, and I know that I am, because of the Holy Spirit, I do well with people. Mm. And, 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 and I'm not a street evangelist, not by a long shot, but I think I, live, uh, I evangelize by example. By being kind, by being helpful, um, and 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 showing and showing an example the way I live. And I think that's probably a good word for the Christians who might be listening. Um, if you were to speak with them, I think that that's very powerful as well in terms of how you display Christianity is is just by being. Uh, grounded in the love of God and who you are, and then giving that love away. It sounds like I, I must 
I, I must mention this this one instance um, because you mentioned the word love again. Uh, so because it it really hit me one time how uh, that and it was spontaneous that uh, love is the one quality that makes us human and that's the quality that we get from God. So here's a here's this this instance. Uh, uh, I uh, I gave a presentation at uh, Microsoft, and uh, at the end, one of the members of the audience asked me, "So, with all the stuff that you did and all the crazy life that you live, what is uh, the one lesson uh, that that you could share with us?" And I didn't hesitate. I said, "Oh, three words: love conquers all." Turns out the questioner was a Christian and is a good friend of mine now. Oh, that that really does sum it up, doesn't it? I mean, love is is that thing that that sometimes seems so elusive. It's the thing that we all want and desire, and it's it's there waiting for you. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so very much, Jack, for coming on board and and telling us your your amazing journey from the other side of the world um, and the other side of your view of reality uh, to one that is beautifully grounded in the love of God and the peace of God and the truth of God that you demonstrate a, a life and a faith that's that's all encompassing head heart and life and that's a that's an incredible story for us all to, to take inspiration from really so thank you so much for for coming on today to tell your your story you are very welcome thanks for tuning in to the side b podcast to hear jack's story you can find out more about jack by visiting his website at jackbarsky.com that's b-a-r-s-k-y or for his full story you can read his book deep undercover you can find it Amazon and other great places. For questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me by email at the Podcast at cslewisinstitute.org. I hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and network if you wouldn't mind. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next time where we'll be listening to the other side. <laughs>